You are welcome here. No, really, you are. But how would you know that you're welcome? And how does welcome show? And why does that matter? Hi, I'm Stuart and I get to be the minister here at St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us today and we hope that you find our time together helpful. If you do, then please invite others by liking and sharing. We'd love to hear from you. So if you're watching on video on Facebook or our YouTube channel, then please say hi in the comments. Today we are thinking about welcome. And I'd like to read just three verses from Matthew's Gospel and then to think a bit about how we welcome each other, how welcome works and why it matters so much. Matthew chapter 10 verses 40 to 42 Whoever welcomes you welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of a righteous person. Matthew 10 verses 40 to 42 Whoever welcomes you welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. One of the things that being in lockdown made me think about is how we welcome people. When we're introduced to someone, usually for the first time, we often shake someone's hand. Or perhaps if we know them well, we give them a hug. In other places, you might kiss someone on the cheek. We're built for physical contact. In some ways, we're hardwired for welcome. So we found different ways to express our delight at seeing someone we had fist bumps and that strange forearm thing that footballers did. There were foot taps and nods and air hugs. We could have adopted the Eastern tradition of bowing. It seemed back then that shaking hands would become a thing of the past, something we would never do again. After all, it was a custom that was developed hundreds of years ago to show that you weren't holding a sword or a dagger behind your back. But it's not just about the physical act of welcome. We're deprived of social contact. We were not able to welcome people into our homes. Our families and friends had to be at least two metres from us in our gardens or on a screen or at the end of a phone. The balance between keeping us safe from a virus with no cure and at the same time trying to mitigate the damage of social isolation, that was a difficult one. And we can all debate whether or not that balance was right. But our enforced isolation perhaps gave us a much better sense of what it means to be alone, truly alone. Because that period was very different, even for people who normally live by themselves. Social isolation is one of the biggest issues our society faces, and it was a massive problem long before anyone had even heard of coronavirus. Our way of living has promoted loneliness. And that, of course, is mostly unintentional. But the way we live has caused us to lead more and more separate lives. And that has some pretty serious consequences for our mental health and our well-being. But we also need to be realistic. We all know how difficult it can be to welcome a stranger. There are risks. 
There can be awkwardness and even a fear of having someone you don't know come into your home. And that's all true and it's all very valid. But it highlighted for me a problem a problem with the church. For the most part, we expect people to come to us. We organise services and events and we hope that people will come. And sometimes they do. And very occasionally, people will invite their friends. But that's mostly to the fun stuff, especially the things we do at Christmas, or perhaps around significant events like Remembrance. Those of us who come to church on a Sunday or online aren't always very good at inviting other people to join us. And when we know people will be coming, for example, for a baptism, we gear up to welcome them. Come on in, sit down, make yourself comfortable. Well, as comfortable as you can be sitting on a wooden bench for an hour. Welcoming, especially welcoming new people, can be really difficult. And it's always a bit of a risk. What if they come and they don't like it? Or worse, what if they don't like us? What if they are difficult? What if they don't behave properly? What if they ask awkward questions? What if they want us to explain what's happening? Or what it means? What if we don't have any idea about the answer to any of those questions? And that's in real life where people are standing in front of us and we can have a face-to-face conversation with them. But what about welcoming people online like this? If we're worried about putting ourselves forward to welcome people in real life, then it's even easier just to lurk in the shadows online, isn't it? I noticed an interesting phenomenon as we moved online at the start of COVID. Everyone behaved like a visitor. Even the people who come to St Ninian's Church in person every Sunday behaved like they were new, like they were visitors, and I was the host. So let's do a wee experiment. If you're watching this, please click like and say hello in the chat box or the comments, just so we can see who's there. Because we can't. I can tell how many people have watched and for how long, but I have no idea who is there. Who's behind the screen? In some ways, I'm just hoping that someone is. That someone somewhere is tuning in. And if you are, I hope you feel welcome. I've welcomed you into my home and I'm glad that you've joined me, but I'm also in your house, on your table or on a laptop, a phone or a tablet. I'm in your living room or your kitchen. You've welcomed me in and I appreciate that. But if welcoming people is sometimes awkward, what about being welcomed? We're supposed to explore the story from all angles. And I wonder, did it occur to you today that we might be the stranger in the story, that we might be the one that nobody knows, the one who is turning up, the one wondering if we will be welcomed or not. And it's odd that we didn't really consider that possibility because the story is about Jesus sending out his disciples. The disciples are the strangers who will either be welcomed or not, listened to or not, accepted or not. So I wonder, why is it that we don't identify with them as outsiders first? On any other day, I'd have been down Disciple Street with this sermon, thinking about being sent out, how we're asked to go and spread the good news to our friends and to our neighbours, how we might do that, how what we might say, what we might do, and the message that we might focus on. And that's all really important stuff. 
how can we tell people who have little or no experience of church or who don't know the stories of the Bible, well, how do we tell them about Jesus? How do we do that in a way that, that's not patronising or a bit weird or just not very interesting? Jesus tells his disciples that they will be welcomed. They'll be welcomed as someone who's bringing God's message. There's something here about identity. It asks us, who will people see me as? Will they recognise me as one of Jesus' followers? And how do I feel about that? Because there's a risk associated with that identity. Later in the story, Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, will deny even knowing Jesus not once, not twice, but three times in one night. All because he was scared that people would harm him because he knew Jesus. I wonder, when was the last time that you spoke to anyone about your faith? I wonder, when was the last time that you invited someone to join us? The truth is that we are on both sides of the story all the time. We're both the ones who are sent out, the ones who are sent to ask people to come, but also the ones who are welcomed in. And that means being vulnerable and alone sometimes. Because the passage isn't just about the ones who welcome. It's about the ones who are sent out. You are the stranger. You are the disciple. Someone asked a really important question recently. It was this. What place does a physical, dedicated church building have in the ongoing missional strategy of your congregation? It's a brilliant question. And I'm not sure that I still know the answer to it. I think a building does have a place. But then so does YouTube. When we have a, a place to go, it's often much easier just to stay there, to stay inside, to hide behind the big stone walls and the stained glass, to sit in rows where we look at the back of each other's heads, where very little is actually expected of us. And all of a sudden, because of circumstances outside our control, we find ourselves out in the world with a whole new set of priorities and problems. And we, you, all of you, wherever you are, set about looking after people. The sick and the lonely, the isolated and the bereaved. Perhaps much more than we would have in normal times. There are some serious questions for us to think about in the coming weeks and months and years. Questions not just about what our building should be like, but also questions about what it means to be a church. Questions about what kind of world we want to live in. And questions about what part we can play in creating all of that. This sending out story starts and ends with Jesus talking about welcome. The only time the word welcome appears in the whole of Matthew's story of Jesus is now. So it must be important. So what and who do we welcome? Do we welcome new ideas? Do we welcome new ways of doing things? Do we welcome strangers and friends? And are we nervous about being welcomed? Because we are the ones who are out there in the world caring and supporting and loving and bringing a story of hope and peace and justice and mercy. Has that meant it's now not welcome to my place or to my church, but instead welcome to Jesus? Welcome to this amazing story that still has the power to change lives. 
to change the world. Jesus says, This is a large work I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who's thirsty. Try that. Because in that small act of giving and receiving, that's what makes you a true apprentice to me. That's rooted by the streams of life So Lord, set your word in me Your word, O oh Lord, it lights my way And by this light I see It guides me
God of welcome, we thank you that you are always ready, waiting to welcome us, always waiting to spend time with us and hear what we want to bring to you in prayer. Our prayer could be an endless list and there will be situations missed and people escaping our attention, but we know that you are able to see beyond our limited memories and hold all that pains creation with us and for us. We're so consumed by the effects of a virus that, well, many situations went unnoticed. So we pray now for all those who feel forgotten in our world. We pray for refugees in camps, not only worried about when their lives might take a turn for the better, but fearful of all the dangers that surround them. We pray for men and women and children behind closed doors, living with danger and torment at the hands of people who profess to love them. We pray for people living with life-limiting conditions, relying on reduced levels of care, fearful of catching something, fearful that their treatment might be limited, and that those in the background within caregiving services, cleaners and janitorial staff and administrators and managers are doing what they can to make sure that hospitals and care run smoothly and safely. We pray for places of conflict, where with attention elsewhere, dangers are increased and tensions raised, and where death continues unheeded. There are so many places, so many concerns, so Lord, we thank you that we can bring them to you. And we continue in the words that you taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. God of design and creation's manufacture, Jesus, purifier and water of life, spirit sustainer and the world's preservation agent, before you we gathered, from you we take and away with you we go. Taking up the causes that you demand, we go to serve your world. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you.